Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture show broadcast in Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back with a brand new episode. Uh, I apologize. I know it's every episode. I apologize for the length of time in between episodes. It's just that I'm still considered an essential worker, and getting people together sometimes to around my new schedule to release episodes has been a little tight. Um, when things start to come down... Things will kind of go back to a normal schedule, whatever that means for this show, because I know it's, it is always a little bit of time in between episodes. But if you want to hear me more consistency, with more consistency, I should say, uh, listen to my other podcast. Please rewind the RF Forum Retro Show. Myself and a few guests, usually Jamie Drewley, Guy Milks, or Jeremy Lloyd, we talk about movies when it comes to their anniversaries. There, you can hear me uh, on a far more consistent basis. You can you find that show and all the other shows, the Real Fans for Real Movies Podcast Network at rfforum.com. And subscribe to that show if you want, then want to miss this episode. But today's episode, as you can tell from the title, we're talking about the original plan for the DCEU. Now, I can't do it alone. i got to have a guest with me. And this person who, much like Guy Milks, kind of gets around when it comes to being his own podcast host and his guest on different shows. Uh, he's the host of Superhero Stress, Mr. Philip Barker. How are you doing, Philip? No protectors here. No Kryptonian. No lanterns. I totally botched that, but yeah, how are you doing, Tim? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you for having me on to talk the uh, the original plan of the DC Extended Universe today. Happy to be here. No problem. And you know what? Uh, even if you botched it, like it's like uh, I think it's the point still got across. Um, I apologize. It's been so long since we podcasted together. You know, I owe you an apology as well, man, because like you know, given everything that's going on, and you know the fact you're also an essential worker, and you've also not been on my show since we started. You were the first person on my show, dude. I, I was wondering about that. I'm like, was I the first or second guest? I knew I was very you're the early first. on. I, okay, I was I was worried about that. And I'm like, wait, I, I I felt bad that I couldn't remember. And I'm like, shit, who was it? So yeah, fun fact, guys. Tim is the Godfather, the second, the first, the first, first. Yes, I ever had on my show. He is the godfather of who helped kick off superhero stress. So, thank you. It has been, you know, to, to kind of talk about my show a little bit, it, it, I, I maintain that I love superheroes of all kinds. Marvel, DC, I'm not biased in any, I try not to be biased in any way. I mean, I have my preferences, but just like, I don't try and go out of my way to just, you know, take a dump on anyone who has a different preference of a superhero than me, but Tim helped me kick off superhero stress, and now we're about 35, 36 episodes deep over a course of a year, and yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. I've had Guy Milks, Jay Yaz, Jeremy Lloyd, Eric Carter, Joe Forno, ton of great people on the show, as well as Lisa from the I Love That Movie podcast and Justin Kowalski from Let's Go Comic Show. Oh man, it's just been a total blast, dude. I couldn't have I, my show could have been possible without you, so thank you. You're very kind, and that really is a who's who when it comes to uh, at least our group of people, our group of podcasters and everything on there. And if you want to hear uh, Guy Milks go nuclear, uh, <laughs> check out the episode of Superhero Stress Review of Todd Phillips' Joker, and that that's like... That's like getting on a roller coaster. It's like, like, all right, but you don't know what kind of loops they're on. So you're kind of getting onto a roller coaster blind. Like, all right, I, it's supposed to be a wild ride. That's what that episode is. So, you know, it's it's funny. I, I made a joke yesterday in, a, in one of our group chats, and I said, you know, it's really funny to me when our friend Guy Milks goes absolutely balls nuclear on something, 
or when our good friend Andy DiGenova of the Holy Backass, when he so politely just tells someone F you without even having to say those words. Like, watching those two do that is like discovering Comedy Central at the age 12 for the first time. <laughs> yeah, because they're both wordsmiths in their own right. Um, one's far more explicit than the other in a, in a usual fashion, but it's, it, it never gets, it, it, it's never a bad time when that happens. You're just like, oh, uh, I'd love to see when that happens. And yeah, and the, and the kind of, weird drama that happened yesterday that I was just like, it was such a good thing that I to clock out of work for the weekend and to see all that come uh, break down. I'm like, you know what? I'm so glad I was here to see this. This is just really funny and, and stressful <laughs> and everything. But we're not going to get too far into that. We have a different topic at hand. Like as you can tell from the title, we're talking about the, the, the original plan for the DCEU. So DCEU. So let's jump into that right now. Okay, now the original plan for the DCEU was actually a rather limited plan because unlike the MCU, which is kind of like an ongoing story, like just like the idea of comics themselves, uh, the apparently the original plan for the DCEU was a finite amount of movies, five movies to be exact, and it would be Man of Steel, uh, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, and a three movies in the Justice, Justice League franchise. Now. Before we get into those, we got to start from the beginning. Um, so we're going to start with Man of Steel and how kind of like the original concept is a tad different from what the movie is. I mean, of the movies that we have, Man of Steel is the one that's been unaltered between original idea and execution. Uh, so, Philip, I'll go with you first. Uh, your feelings on Man of Steel, the one that we have, uh, that we've had for the past almost seven years now. Well, it's funny because... When I remember when Man of Steel was getting made, I was in like my second or third year of college, and I remember being informed that it was it was Zack Snyder who was making the movie. It was Zack Snyder from Watchmen, and back then my opinions on things were very that's the right word here uh, not as well developed as they would be today. I guess would be the best way I could say that. So when you're that young. As young as I could be, you know, seven, eight years ago and being on the internet and seeing things from, you know, what they are, just being knee-jerk, react to everything. Um, only knowing Zack Snyder from, like, his history on Watchmen and 300, <clears throat> I was very wonder. I was wondering what he was going to do with Superman. And I wouldn't, I, what's even more interesting is a lot of people tend to forget this is that the script, the story itself was actually not developed by Snyder. It was actually developed on a pitch from Christopher Nolan and David Goyer, and I, I think the bottom line of it basically was was introducing Superman in a real world, Introdu not necessarily looking at it as like a comic book movie, but having like a more of a well, hearkening back to like an older sci-fi invasion like story, and 
I think David Goyer mentioned like make forming the story while also simultaneously being like an origin story for Superman, but also being this this story for Zod as well. And I think Goyer mentioned something in the effect of you don't pick your antagonist until you figure out what kind of story you're trying to tell. So to your point, this one really was the one that was developed from point A to point B to be to be what it was. And it wasn't really until that movie released and came out to where people really started talking about the idea of, oh, I remember Zack Snyder. I'm going to paraphrase here, but I think he did say something at a con, something to the effect of, you know, Superman is the crown jewel of the DC universe, and without him, you don't really get a universe. I remember it was like right around the time Man of Steel came out was when that narrative of Superman opening the door to a bigger universe was really starting to be pushed. It less the, the the idea of it being a standalone Superman movie and more of it being a launching pad. It's really weird to see how that that shifted. Now that I'm really thinking about it, yeah, it is curious because you got to think about it at the time. Like, okay, let's go back to 2011, 2012. Okay, mm-hmm. and the the Dark Knight trilogy or what the the upcoming conclusion of it that would be released in 2012 is like, all right. That was the high watermark when it came to comic book movies. But at the same time, Marvel is, is doing their own movies, but it's like every other kind of comic book movie that we've seen up to this point. It's just like, it's just these characters, and it's just telling these stories. And it wasn't until 2012, like, the, the obviously, the, the paradigm shifted. Yes. With the end of the Dark Knight trilogy... And the really the culmination of the first phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe with the Avengers. Mm-hmm. And the idea of like, okay, Joss Whedon, like, yeah, he has done some great TV stuff, but his only other feature film is Serenity. Well, fans of the TV show like that movie. It didn't do as well as it should have at the box office. And he's he's the one helming this movie of all these complex characters coming together. It'll never work, the naysayer said. And then what it happened? Did. It worked. And the whole world, the whole at least when it comes to pop culture wise and Hollywood wise, the conversations changed. Like from that Friday when that movie opened up to that Monday, when the following Monday, like okay, we got to have a shared universe. But yep. man, now, still, oh, go on. Do, do you remember there, there were three movies that released the summer of 2012? Do you, do you know what they were? <clears throat> three comic book movies. 2012, okay, yeah, you have The, the Dark Knight Rises, The Avengers, yep. and The Amazing Spider-Man. Correct. Now, which one of those movies had the bigger impact on Hollywood that following that, that summer? The Avengers. The Avengers. And it's, it's really funny because it shows, because as things progressed for both WB and Sony, you know, you saw Sony try and fail and kickstart a whole universe with The Amazing Spider-Man 2, and then you saw WB kind of not – it's weird. It's I'm not trying to say that they changed the marketing of Man of Steel, but once the movie was out, they were kind of like, oh, yeah, it can definitely be like the, the launching pad for a DC universe. But was it really meant to be that? That is the question. No, because Green Lantern was supposed to be. Right. I totally, mm-hmm. I totally, totally just remember that. I know it's probably a bunch of people screaming at their their phones right now, like, "Duh! What about the Green Lantern movie? The Ryan Reynolds vehicle that was supposed to be a, the beginning of a shared universe." And I'll be honest, I've not actually seen that from beginning to end, and so I, and I don't have the hate for it. And so, like, I, like I know I need to make the, the 
time to sit down and watch it and begin to end. Because I've heard the people who who have been who I trust their opinions being very objective, as objective as a person can be. That's actually not that bad. You know, I actually saw Green Lantern opening night because number one, I really like Ryan Reynolds. Uh, number two. I was really just excited to see a DC hero on the big screen that wasn't, you know, like Batman or Superman. So that was also kind of nice. And, like, I remember watching that movie being really happy with it, but then it's kind of like a Justice League scenario all over again. Like, you find out about how that movie came to be, about how Greg Berlanti and um, Mark Guggenheim and Michael Green came up with a whole completely different script, and Greg Berlanti was originally supposed to direct the movie, but, you know either weeks or months prior to them shooting it, Greg Berlanti gets let go and they bring in Martin, I think it's Martin Campbell. Yeah. And made the two, arguably two best James Bond movies in GoldenEye and Casino Royale. Right. And he just totally changed up what Ryan Reynolds had originally signed on for with Greg Berlanti. It is an unfortunate set of circumstances because, like... Because you, you you signed a contract, now you've given yourself a raw deal because now you're doing something like, I don't say false pretenses, but it's like, all right, I came here to do A, B, and C, but now we're doing X, Y, and Z. Right. It kind of, it, it kind of, you can't, can't help but be affected in your performance in one way that like, be a little deflated that the story you, you meant to tell, you can't tell anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that does kind of feed into justice league but we will get there i'm really i'm glad you brought up green lantern because i have read the original script from berlanti guggenheim and green and that script did feel a lot more open to a dc universe than the green lantern movie we did get because um right in the beginning when avancer dies in the original script of that movie that never got made for green lantern the ring passes by not only guy Gardner, it also passes by clark kent oh wow yeah You also get nods to Central City and Gotham later on in the script. And I think by the end of the movie, they were also going to have Hal Jordan in his traditional gray sideburns a la Reed Richards style. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, to this day, I still think that script is a lot stronger than the movie that we got. Um, As far as Man of Steel goes, though, it's my favorite Superman movie, like, you know, universes things aside like it, it 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 just taking it for what it is as a superman movie it is my favorite superman movie to date but that's not as a slight to things that have come before it but it's really interesting that that movie got as much criticism as it did for a lot of really minuscule things that people gloss over in a lot of other comic book movies i find that just fascinating <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, like, I don't want to sound like a, just a DC defender, say, like, like, and just kind of punch back, like, well, what about this thing and that thing? And pointing out the inconsistencies of other comic book movies, and you just seem, like, automatically on the defensive. It, it, as my friend uh, and co-host Mike says, he feels Man of Steel is a good first draft, and he feels like there's a better movie in there. I'm a little more, I'm a little more encouraging on the movie. Like, it's not my favorite Superman movie. I think just nostalgia reasons, I will... I still prefer Superman the movie with Christopher Reeve, but like then again, I've watched that for far more years than I have Man of Steel. Not saying that they're apples and oranges; they're two different takes on uh, on Clark Kent and Kal El, and I can appreciate both of them. I mean, I try to take the 
the Grant Morrison way of thinking when it comes to comic book characters that everything that they've done is valid. And like you think mm. of and you think of like Bat, uh, his run on Batman where so many silly things happen during there, but it's done with such sincerity because he thinks of like, all right, even the fifties era of Batman that nobody really likes to talk about because of the comics code that happened and the suggest the seduction of the innocent i can speak um influence on the comic industry the saying like oh we got to be kind of careful because the government's looking at us kind of sideways we have to change things up like all that is still valid in Graham morrison's run of batman like that's why his batman goes through time at one point and may create blindness if need be if you want to go super super into things but that's why I appreciate both Man of Steel and Superman in the movie because hey, they're still they're Sue Siltman that's still that's still an S on his uh, chest and he still flies around, he still wears a cape, and I really do enjoy Man of Steel and it's like I could we could be finished recording here and like somebody can say hey you want to watch Man of Steel I'm like sure I, like I'm always down to watch it, um, I do feel like there are things that's like huh. You wonder, like, you know, if you didn't, like, maybe, like, 10% less of this, like, you could have maybe saved yourself a little bit of hell when it comes to criticism. But that's mm-hmm. not Snyder's style. He it's like, no, I'm going to lean into this, for better or for worse, that that is that's purely subjective for, uh, from person to person. Right. And to maybe kind of move things a bit in a forward direction, did you watch his the commentary with Batman versus Superman? I've watched a little bit of it. I did not sit down and watch the three-hour version of the entire the entirety of it, no. So I actually, Eric and I watched the whole thing live. And I got to say, for just to just like get to see into the mind of the filmmaker who made these movies, I can understand why he made, more so BVS than Man of Steel, because that was the movie he was talking about. But like to, applying what he said about how he made BVS and then trying to like picture that in my mind of how he did man of steel too you can understand you can definitely see it you can understand where his sensibilities were especially when it comes to like having superman's appearance come with human consequences and i i i, I don't disagree i think that uh, you know maybe 10 percent, a little bit less than that he probably would have saved himself a lot of hell in the long run in terms of criticism Right, like, like if he brought like the fight to space or the moon to fight Zod, like I have no problem with that. I like I think that could have maybe eased a little bit of the issues that some people had. But mm-hmm. I also I have no problem with him killing Zod. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that either. That never rubbed me the wrong way. I, I will admit that it caught me off guard when I saw it in the theater because, you know, typically as a as a fan of Superman, you don't typically see him go to that extreme unless it's really necessary. And I remember that being a huge point of contention for a lot of people. And it's like, well, you know, why didn't he just put his his hand over his eyes? Well, that was established earlier on in the movie, funny enough. Um, But also, like, well, he could have, like, used something else to take him out. Not really. He was really that that sequence. It kind of falls into a similar category as, like, the Martha sequence. It was just written a certain way, and it was executed a certain way, and it was down the line criticized 50-50. Yeah, I I mean... Obviously, like Superman, had, much like Batman, has like a rule that he tries not to kill people. But since this is supposed to be, we are bringing like near near at the time like seventy five years worth of history into that movie. You have mm-hmm. to establish like man, since we're, we're starting from ground level with Superman. You have to establish why he doesn't kill anybody. So that's how I've kind of justified it. Like, hey, he intentionally killed Zod and 
at, at the incredible cost of killing the last of the Kryptonians, the any other the the only other Kryptonian left in the universe. And so, I can see that from that point on, like he would never kill any more people. Does it happen in BVS? That's a little more debatable. Like if you want to argue if he does kill people in BVS. I'm trying to think. Does Superman actually kill people in Batman vs. Superman? The dude that, that's oh. holding um, yeah. Lois hostage, like, I don't know. You could argue either, like, it was like if you showed him, like, get up from, like, throwing the, like, the two of them going through the wall and the guy's just, like, coughing up, like, uh, so I don't Oh, you're talking about Batman. I'm still thinking Superman. No, yeah, so, like, like Superman, like, uh, saves Lois from being, uh, has, who has a gun to her head earlier on in the movie, like. Right, 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 right. Yeah, And yeah, you yeah. could argue, like, um, he just turned that dude into paint, go, throwing him through the wall, or you could have shown him get up and the guy's okay, and it was, Superman took the brunt of that blow, and that would have eased some tension a little bit here, but that was not the decision made, and, like, we can we can we can talk to the cows home of what should have been done and everything. But since we're we're, we're talking about that, so three years later in 2016, we get uh, Batman v Superman: The Dawn of Justice. And your experiences with this movie when you first time saw it, and how do you feel about it now? This was my most anticipated comic book film ever made, hands down, no question about it. And. When I was younger, I was a little jaded towards the Dark Knight trilogy for a lot of reasons. I mean, now I've kind of just kind of boiled it down to it's just a preference thing. It's just not really kind of like what I would want out of Batman. So when I saw what Zack Snyder was doing with Ben Affleck and Batman, I was over the moon, dude. Like when I saw that first picture of Batman as, you know, Ben Affleck as Batman, like that was it. I was sold day one, no matter what. Like I was going to see that movie. Actually seeing the movie, I had tickets day one, two different showings, one at the earliest point possible, my time, four o'clock, and then again at seven with a bunch of my friends. A lot of my friends were actually really mad at me because I went to the four o'clock showing and I didn't tell any of them. <laughs> so I went I went into the second showing and all of my friends were like, hey, Philip, are you ready to see it? And I was like, yeah, I just finished it. And they were like, what? You, you just got out of the movie. I was like, yeah, I, I know what happens. And they were like, you're joking. I was like, no, no, I've seen the entire movie. I know what happens. And they're like, you saw this without us. So, yeah, I've been wanting to see this movie for three years, guys. Come on. It's Batman and Superman. I didn't tell them what was going to happen. I just told them how I felt, <laughs> you know, and I, I still maintain how I feel about this. This is, it may not be the movie that everyone wanted, but at the same time, like I accept it for what it is. And I'm happy. I'm just happy at the fact that there is a movie where Batman and Superman do coexist. That said though, the movie on its own merits, I cannot disagree with any criticisms that people may or may not have with it. Because this movie is complex in a lot of ways, and it's also very thematic, heavily. And those themes do not necessarily resonate with the general audience, as, as it's come to show. Yeah, that's for sure. I remember I had saw the early reviews before I saw the movie, like a, like an hour before the movie, I saw the critical reaction to it. Mm-hmm. And I saw that, that famous interview between Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. Ooh, huh? Hello, darkness, my old Right. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm just like, it wasn't even, it was just the original interview. It was before the meme of the Simon and Garfunkel song, right. but I'm just like, huh? And I always and I, and like I was I always wondered what he what was Ben Affleck thinking in that moment. And I still I still think what he was flashing back on is the Martha moment 
And I'm like, is this he feeling self-conscious about that moment or not? Like, that's the that's what I imagine was going through his head right there. And I'm like, I hope the guy's not that. And so I end up seeing the movie. And my usual modus operandi when I go see, like, uh, especially if I'm going out, like, with somebody, like, like, hey, you want to, like, get dinner and a movie? I'm like, no, like, yes, but not in that order. I always do the movie first and then dinner afterwards because you have something to talk about at the dinner right there. You have something to talk right. about as your food gets ready. You just talk about the movie and then whatever natural conversation comes out of that. And so I end up going to, like, the small – like, if it's a – a big movie that's coming out, I go to a small mom-and-pop theater because there's less people there. There's less foot traffic. Mm-hmm. And in two things, like, it's a few things. Like, all right, so it's the mom-and-pop theater. It's generally cheaper for tickets and concessions, which I enjoy. And they start on time. If it's listed at 6 o'clock, that's when the movie rolls. Oh, wow. Okay. They, so the advertisements start 15 minutes prior and I found that the hard way when I came into Spectre and they were already halfway through that big long take of a bond going through the Day of the Dead um, celebration in Mexico. But and so I saw it there, went to the local diner that's around the block from it. And uh, if I'm a little unsure about a movie, I'm quiet. Mm-hmm. At, like after the movie. And like <clears throat> my girlfriend at the time's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm just processing it. And... It wasn't until I saw it again for the second time I saw it in IMAX, and I'm like, all right, I, I want to see it on the big screen because I know it was shot partially in IMAX, and and for a while, like it was like it was the Batman movie I would go back and rewatch the most for mm-hmm. like two years afterwards, and I still enjoy it. There's parts of it that I think like, okay, I understand why people have criticisms of it. The reason why I haven't gone back to it is that certain fans of a cut of a movie that has not been released um, have soiled my feelings a little bit on or tainted my feelings on this movie and it's not the movie's fault it's people outside of it and i kind of it kind of sucks that i can't at least for a little while i don't know if i if i I go back and watch it now if i feel different but i tried watching it after having a negative interaction with some truly died in the wool snyder cut fans that were like where i offered opinion like it sucks but we don't have that movie and everything, and they and I was ripped to shreds on Twitter because of my opinions, and it kind of like, yeah, I don't really want to watch this movie for a while. So that's kind of like how I sit at the moment. <clears throat> yeah, dude, I I don't blame you. I really don't. I'll be the I'll be the first person to say like, going into Batman vs Superman and coming out of Batman vs Superman, yeah. There were a lot of us that really wanted to see Ben Affleck be in a solo Batman movie. There were a lot of us that wanted to see another Henry Cavill-led Superman movie, because that's where we thought it was going to go. You know, hopeful that it would fit in with this story. But I guess that's really kind of also the thing. They kept this, like their plan, they kept their plan pretty tight up until it really didn't start to work for them anymore. And that's when the bigger details really kind of started to spin out. But yeah, I don't, I don't blame you, dude. Like it's, it's really unfortunate that there are a lot of other, those diehard fans who are just specifically fans of Zack Snyder and specifically just more this take on Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, the Justice League, whatever. Like it's really unfortunate that people really have to go out of their way and just spew awful kinds of venom because they're not getting a movie that hasn't been completed yet. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of people who feel the same way for years regarding Superman too, but 
it's not it's not it's times are different number one number two like it's really unfortunate how that whole process of how Zack Snyder was removed from Justice League was handled but at the same time like conceptually from a storyline wise kind of perspective it was it, it's it's his story like the the, the five story arc like if we're going to kind of get into the meat of it like the five story arc yes that's a that's a beautiful idea for like a standalone epic of of comic book storytelling i understand that but unfortunately when studios and businesses don't want that they want like a an ongoing universe like what marvel has and I'm not even saying that it's Marvel's fault for the failure of what WB and Justice League, because it's not. It's absolutely not. This is on WB for choosing to be like that, which yeah. is really unfortunate to say. But, you know, when you try and play catch up or when you try and just do what the other side does, it it can work, but sometimes it usually doesn't. And that's that's, you know, that's proven... Even before the movies, that goes all the way back to comics and comic book characters alike. Like, I'll be the first to tell you, Deadpool's a funny character, but he's a ripoff. He's a blatant ripoff of Deathstroke. And if you tell Rob Liefeld that, he'll probably get hissy-bissy and block you on Twitter. But, oh well, that's Rob Liefeld. He's a ripoff artist. Yeah, I mean, he has to search (laughs) his 10,000 pockets to find an insult, but that's beside the point. (laughs) Um, And it's not like I I completely hate BVS. No, like, I, I... Enjoy. I love. I mean, I, one of the greatest experiences I had in a theater when it comes to a comic book movie is Wonder Woman's true introduction, saving Batman, yes. resulting in the entire theater that was quiet in moments where you think like, "Oh, we should be having a rip roaring time." Wonder Woman's introduction, the entire theater erupted into applause at that point because everybody was just like, "Yes, that is something we've been waiting for right there," and seeing Gal Gadot kick ass. And then that, that, that's what led everybody, like, all right, we can't wait for Wonder Woman the movie now. And obviously history proved that everybody really enjoyed uh, Wonder Woman the movie. And we, can't, we, we patiently await the sequel. We just hope the, the situation in the world right now resolves us out sooner rather than later. But like, I was excited for it. Seeing the, the Trinity on screen, I was very happy with that. I enjoyed, like, there are pieces of it I enjoyed. There's parts of it I do not like. But, like... If somebody says, hey, you want to watch BBS maybe in, like, a year or so? I could probably, like, yeah, I could probably sit down and watch this. It's not saying that, like, I will never go back to it or anything. And results to, like, WB's, like, interference and everything like that, or saying it's in Marvel's fault. No, because every comic book movie that makes money is good for everybody in the film business. Right. I mean, like, I don't think anybody wants... Like, I don't think anybody wanted Fan Four Stick to fail. I don't think anybody wanted the Hellboy reboot to fail or anything. Um, I know. Oh, go on. I was just going to say, like, it's really... Excuse me. It's funny that you mentioned those movies specifically because every one of them, it always feels like they try and pin the, the movie's failures on some kind of production issue or some kind of issue throughout filming or whatever because I remember following the release of both Hellboy and, and Fan Stick. Like, Josh Trank and Neil Marshall, I think, was the director of Hellboy. Both of them were just scrutinized to death. Like, Josh Trank for sure... Like, he stepped away from... I think he, even he did, like, a rewatch or a review on Letterboxd of Fan Stick, and he even calls out some of the people who took over and just, like, botched the movie that he had a hand in making. 
No, but he didn't help himself either with one tweet no, nearly right. nuking his career right there. Right, right. You're absolutely right. I remember that. It was like the week before Van Forstick came out. He sent that tweet out. And that even, that led to him not appearing on the fourth episode he had lined up for Kevin Smith's uh, Fat Man on Batman. Yeah, I remember that. Back when I used to listen to that podcast. Yeah. Yeah, wow. 2015. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. And I remember... I remember when Fan Four Stick was over. Like, I, I turned to my girlfriend at the time, and she—I think she asked, like, how much did this movie cost? And I'm like, 125 million dollars. And both of us came to the same conclusion, asking, "Where did the money go?" Ouch. Yeah, and, and so it's like, obviously, Hollywood is a business. That's why there's double amount of letters, letters in business in terms to film. It is a commercialized art form. You have to know that going into it. Not saying that all of it has to be a everything has to be a blockbuster, yada yada yada. It, it all depends on the size of the budget and the story you're trying to tell. However, the bigger story, the, the, I mean, when it comes to budget, the bigger the budget, the broader the movie has to be to resonate with a with a wide audience. Sometimes, mm-hmm. like you have Christopher Nolan who can take very heady ideas and still make a compelling blockbuster a time time again. But that is few and far between. And I think that that is kind of, I guess, one of the downsides of Snyder's career because he he tells very specific stories, just he needs a very big canvas. And it's just unfortunate that people have mentioned, like, an $800 million uh, box office is, is considered a disappointment for BVS. Yeah, which is insane to think about. But when you apply, like, the law of diminishing returns, just as far as Batman's concerned, it's people hold it to that standard and it's really unfortunate because when you think about statistically a movie with Batman and Superman in it should figuratively be somewhere in that that billion dollar mark and it's kind of unfortunate that BVS didn't quite hit it was close it got close to 900 million but it wasn't quite there which is really really like this unfortunate standard that it has to be held to you know I think that's the unfortunate success of <clears throat> Dark Knight and the event, yeah. the first Avengers, because that's true. Everybody thinks like that's the minimum of success right now is the billion dollar mark. Do you like you ever try to quantify a billion dollars, ladies and gentlemen? It's staggering. It's trying to think of like individual hundred dollar bills that that results into a billion dollars. Yeah, and like that that that's the <clears throat> measuring stick. I, I it's not saying that like I. It sucks that it is that, but like I don't know what we can do to change people's mindsets when it comes to measuring comic book movie successes. But one of the things about BVS the movie was a little different conception versus execution. Apparently, it was supposed to be two fights between Batman and Superman. Like one earlier on where Batman does not have kryptonite, but he fires everything he has at Superman to no avail. And eventually he was able to get kryptonite and the rest of the movie as is how it plays out. And that's where we get to his version of justice league. Well, actually I'm really glad you brought that up because following man of steel, it was really interesting to see BVS become what Batman vs Superman Donna justice did become because right off the heels of man of steel, they did announce, you know, Batman vs Superman right away. It wasn't Batman vs Superman Donna justice until much, much later. And that's where I think the idea that Snyder had, you know, Snyder, Terrio, all of them, I think that's where they really kind of solidified that, 
okay, if Man of Steel is point A, then BVS needs to be, like, definite point B, and from here we go Justice League, then Justice League 2, then Justice League 3, and then someone I would imagine probably went, well, what, Zach, what about Wonder Woman? What about The Flash? What about Aquaman? What about Cyborg and the Green Lantern? And that's the other thing that I think was kind of taken into consideration, but it wasn't really executed or experimented with until Batman vs. Superman and Wonder Woman, because Wonder Woman was the first movie that wasn't necessarily part of that plan. Same with the Suicide Squad. Yeah, all the, those movies came out like, all right, like what we're going to be discussing, like the, the five movies here are like, all right, this is the initial concept and this is how it kind of spun out afterwards, like all these other movies and other IP being used. And I think it was unfortunate and like other studios have done this, that they announced movies, I guess you would say a tad premature mm-hmm. that we, a lot of them not come to fruition when it comes to WB characters. This is true. I mean, I can't tell you how many times the flash movie has moved dates or directors. Number one, um, cyborg was supposed to happen two weeks ago. Um, and green lantern core was originally slated for this year, either next, I think in June. They were, they were supposed to be like a Green Lantern Corps movie like coming out in June this year, but that's the old slate, and not even counting Zack Snyder's specific five-movie arc. <clears throat> yeah, it is kind of just like... I, I think there is a good idea, or like there's a... is a right level of thinking when it comes to Christopher Nolan when he says he wants to concentrate just one movie at a time, mm-hmm. and not think about ten steps ahead... And, mm-hmm. I mean, the, there's both pros and cons to both levels of planning of movies, whether it be one movie at a time or we're planning different, like, uh, so many moving parts, like we're doing, like, three-dimensional chess. And and that's the thing, like, a lot of people say, like, a lot of Marvel movies um, feel like just set up movies to other movies. I know I think that's one of the, one of the biggest um, criticisms of Age of Ultron. That it's just a setup of other movies and not really a true Avengers movie in itself. I'm a little bit more favorable to that movie. Uh, I think hey, somebody summed it up. It's like it's like a season's worth of TV in a two-hour and twenty-minute movie. I just thought of another franchise that could have that debatable: what works better between making one movie at a time or planning it out ahead of time. And I think you might know what I'm talking about, but I'll just go ahead and say it. It's the sequel trilogy for Star Wars. Yeah. You know, I've seen people say one way or the other that they'd see it rather developed in one whole big story. Or as George Lucas had originally made the movies, one movie at a time. But I digress. Yeah, but the the unfortunate thing is, is that the sequel trilogy... Is has both of those uh, ideas being trying to, they're being straddled at the same time in those oh, three yeah. movies. Oh, for sure. I don't disagree with that at all. Matter of fact, I love that you said that because it's so true. <laughs> and and I and I feel like that. I think that's one of the magical things about the original trilogy is that they were making up as they went along. It wasn't this Tolkien esque. 
we spent 12 years developing this entire world and everything like that. We're exploring right. every, every nook and cranny. There is a organicness, like, all right, we have to solve this problem here, so let's just roll up our sleeves and try and figure this out. And like, I know you're not a fan of The Last Jedi. That Last Jedi is my second favorite Star Wars movie. And, and I just realized, like, that's something we may never see eye to eye on. But it, I understand the criticism that that movie gets and how it treats um, forward pr- propulsion of storytelling and everything. And it, it does feel like maybe Rise of Skywalker should have been two movies. I don't know. I, I know it's one of the ideas that J.J. Abrams had, but what's done is done, which mm-hmm. I know I keep saying that as we talk about a hypothetical universe that doesn't really exist anymore, but whatever. It's not wrong. And so, and, uh, go on. I mean, you know, <laughs> number one, I don't necessarily hate any kind of Star Wars movie. I just have a personal ranking of them all in terms of, like, quality. Last Jedi is kind of lower on that list, but I don't hate it. Not as vehemently or wordly as explicitly as I used to be, but I've definitely softened on my opinions of movies going forward. Because honestly, it you know, much like the the release of the Snyder Cut movement, or at least some portion of it, like it, it just takes too much energy to be that toxic or to be that shitty because you don't like something or how a movie went along, you know. Like that said, like I I don't hate The Last Jedi. I actually the one of the best things I think about The Last Jedi, and I've said this since I walked out of it, is The Last Jedi. I, I really do like the way that Ryan Johnson handled Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker. I know that's a big contention for a lot of people. But yeah, like it's it's really something to see so much so much animosity over stuff that could or couldn't have happened. And, you know, Star Wars or Justice League, be damned. Yeah. And so, we will finally, we have to get to it now. The first (laughs) Justice League movie, the original plan of it is that the movie was going to open up with a flashback of Darkseid attacking Earth. Where the armies of man, Themyscira, Atlantis, Green Lanterns, and the gods would fight back uh, Darkseid and keep him from taking over the earth and then we would flash forward to present day when steppenwolf wants to get out from underneath dark side and, and join the new gods by collecting the mother boxes that are on earth and the mother boxes that were woken up or stirred i should say by the death of the kryptonian at the end of bbs spoilers and so the idea is that they were steppenwolf will get his hand on two of the boxes where the league that would be coming together via Batman and Wonder Woman, where they'll be joined by Aquaman and Flash and Cyborg, use the Mother Box to resurrect Superman, and they would end up defeating Steppenwolf as he tries to escape a boom tube as he's impaled and tries to get away, but Wonder Woman cuts off his head and his head goes propelling through the boom tube on t- back to Apocalypse and slides right to the feet of Darkseid who puts his boot up, boot up on the head of Steppenwolf and Darkseid glances at where the Justice League is and they are the defenders of the Earth now even though there is no Kryptonian I know no Lantern there at the time you know I think about this movie Tim I think about what this movie would have been and I'm going to say it right now this is the movie that would have gotten Zack Snyder the least amount of hate of the three of Man of Steel, Batman vs Superman and Justice League because 
thinking about how this movie is ending, think about who actually was supposed to die in this movie. This is the if if WB would have just let him make the movie that he wanted to make, I pro I honest to God think that the reception of it would have been, yeah, wow. It took him a Justice League movie to kind of get all these characters right. But then I think with Justice League 2, the, the criticism would have been right back to him considering what happens. But anyway, everything you just laid out, I would have absolutely loved to have seen. Because for the longest time, I would love to see Superman facing off against, or even just getting that glimpse of Darkseid. And on top of that, what you also just mentioned... When Darkseid is viewing them in the boom tube, Superman would have been in his black suit, from what I understand. Apparently, Superman was supposed to be in his black suit the majority of his rebirth in Justice League. Which would have been dope. That would have been awesome. Oh, my God. And also, what I also noticed, and this just dawned on me not too long ago, was given his big plan, and to kind of jump towards the end here, apparently in Justice League 3... Batman would have died Final Crisis style. So, and and then he would have gotten apparently like this really big funeral. And to me, that's like, okay, basically what Zack Snyder did was he flipped the deaths of the Dark Knight Returns and death of Superman. Well, he took the death of Superman and turned it also into like a semi-death from the Dark Knight Returns because Batman does, quote, die at the end of that book. Yeah, and but also I, I love the smirk that uh, Clark gives Carrie Kelly at the end of the book when he knows that Bruce is actually still alive. Right. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right. It, it, and how the next two movies would have gone when it came to the Justice League movies, if if this was a perfect world, if we're in the Matrix and everything would have worked perfectly, um, this would have been incorporated ideas from Injustice, uh, mm-hmm. Final Crisis, like you had mentioned. And... I think it would have been a nice amalgamation and a little bit of uh, Graham Morrison's run on JLA of the Rock of Ages using Flash mm-hmm. going back in time to warn uh, people from not from doing something right there. And Morrison's run on JLA is maybe my favorite run of the Justice League book. Um, uh, either that or the Justice League International book in the late 1980s. But... It is curious to hear, like, you're right. I think people would have been, general audience-wise, would have been far happier with this movie in terms of just tone and execution if everything went to plan for this movie. Yeah, I mean, just thinking about the plot in general, you know, the League is coming to terms with, you know, there's an invasion coming. It's now Steppenwolf. Wonder Woman lets Bruce know, hey, this is from... Euxus, Darkseid, this is his nephew or whatever, right? And and from what I understand, I think only Silas Stone was the only confirmed like character death in this movie because Lois Lane dying, that's Justice League 2. Because you don't get a level destroyed Earth unless and a Superman on the anti-life equation unless she dies and that's not how this movie ends. No. And you need to have that kind of hopeful movie you need to have them come together here. And just the Justice League forming together to fight an alien invasion, That's as that goes back to the very first issue of Justice League, when it's Justice League of America fighting Starro. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, Which I, I, I actually just pitched that, fun plug, on Nightlight Pod. <laughs> it, it, as a movie or as part of the CW? I have not listened to the episode yet. 
Oh, so on our pitches, I actually opted to do like a sequel to Justice League, the film that we did get, and mm-hmm. I chose to do Justice League, and it's subtitled The Brave and the Bold, and it's Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Shazam, Cyborg, Black Canary, Martian Manhunter, and Green Arrow, and they all fight Starro. Huh. I assume yeah. you've read that original story. I want to. I, I think I, I did a long time ago, but I need to reread it. I mean, like, it is very indicative of the time it was written. A lot right. of dialogue and everything, but it, the art is gorgeous. And I'm just like, like, if I was thinking about, like, after uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth was over on the CW, what's the next big event they could do? I'm like, they could do Starro. Mm-hmm. That could be a lot of fun. I, I'm, just, I'm really surprised that Starro has not made an appearance in the movies yet, but we haven't got a Brainiac yet. So, you know, I should not be surprised. Well, I mean, if the rumors are true and WB is working on a Supergirl movie, do Brainiac. That'd be perfect right there. I mean, it's it, they've sat there with their dick in their hand with Superman and, and Brainiac, as far as I'm concerned, for the last 40 years. The closest thing you get is is that Brainiac computer in Superman 3 or, you know, the failed Superman lives from Tim Burton. Yeah. With Christopher Walken as mm-hmm. Brainiac would have been... Mm-hmm. Something I I don't know what it would have been like. Right, I'll stop. <laughs> I'll stop. Uh, Superman, what are you doing? Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm honestly surprised that Zack Snyder really just kind of gave in to what WB wanted. I, I really feel like he could have made a follow up Superman movie with Brainiac, and it would have been gorgeous. I'm but, sure it would be gorgeous, but I think it's, that's the thing with yeah, WB right. putting up the money. <clears throat> it's one of those things like all right like if you're putting up your money it's different but it's it's all those money you have to answer to them but um another thing that had the movie ends the first justice league the original plan for justice league was how the movie was gonna end where batman would be awoken at the lake house with a a or no i don't know if it was the lake house or not he would be visited by martian manhunter and a green lantern yes that is correct and it was his lake house yes and then as well as after seeing Darkseid at the end of the boom tube, uh, Wonder Woman would be, be investigating who is that person and what is he, like, should we be preparing for Darkseid to return? Right. Yeah. And also apparently Lex Luthor was going to have a bit of a bigger role, as was Deathstroke, which, again, if you have Joe Manganiello in a Deathstroke costume, why not put it to use, Right. It might be my favorite scene in that entire movie is that post credit scene. Yep, mine too. It's okay. I, I, I'm I right there with you. There's a reason why Deathstroke made my top ten villain lists, and theatrically. Yeah, I mean, it is... Like, that's the, that's the scene that hurts me the most when I watch that movie. It's like, oh. And I remember seeing that in a the theater, and I remember I turned to my friends Nikki and Dakota, and I'm just like, oh, it's Deathstroke and everything. And I was like, my eyes with the size of saucers right there in trying to absorb everything in those last few moments. Okay, so fun fact. I saw Justice League, the theatrical cut that we got. I saw it three or four days before it was released everywhere, so worldwide. I was in a preview IMAX screening, and they had... um. There's a couple people there from like WB and the 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 basically the people who handle like all the, the the reviews and shit for it. Anyway, like they stand outside after you watch a movie and they take down what you say. Anyway, um, when the when the post credit sequence started, 
like the first one after you know Flash and and Superman race, um, and the the post post credit sequence starts. I'm like, what's happening? What's happening? You know, we get the boat and like we get the the the, the shadowy shot of Slade on the boat. I'm like, oh my god, is that Deathstroke? <laughs> and everyone in the theater just started going ape. And then you see him step off the bo- onto the boat, and the crowd went even more ape. And like, oh my god, dude! It was it was like every DC fan in Sacramento in that moment was just so happy at what they saw. And then the following Monday, we're like, well, that's not getting followed up on anytime <laughs> soon. Uh, it's kind of like the end of Flash Gordon, like the end question mark. I'm like, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. it's the end. You can take the question mark off. off. Or the end of the Super Mario Bros. movie, like, yeah, there's not going to be a sequel made. Please just cut this out of the movie. But, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually reading here, and apparently Charles Robin was rumored and interested in having Mark Wahlberg play Hal Jordan in an eventual Justice League movie. <laughs> and honestly, I, I could see that kind of thought process. <laughs> hey, I'm a lantern. This is what I'm going to do. <laughs> I got a ring. I knock you out. It's green. Like the green monster. Fenway Park. Oh, dying. <laughs> That's good. That's really good. I, I, I'm just like, I, the, the thing is, I imagine, I always think of Hal Jordan being very, at least taller. So I'm like, is Mark Rover going to be on an Apple box the entire time? He's not like, he is built. He's built like a brick shit ass, but he's not a tall person. Um... Hey, you know what? Don't make me make my friend call. Don't make me call my friend John Stewart. I'll call my friend John Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Uh, and I've always wanted, like, for like fan casting right now for John Stewart. I, I forget the actor's name. He was the president on Twenty Four. He's been doing the Allstate commercials for years. Oh, um, I know who you're talking about, but I don't remember the actor's name. Um, I always wanted him um, to be the. What was it? Uh, the actor's name is. Bah, 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 come on, Google, don't fail me now. Uh, Dennis uh, Haysbert. I mm. want. I want him to be John Stewart for a long time. You know, honestly, had Cress Williams not taken Black Lightning, I think he'd make a pretty kick-ass John Stewart. You know what? I'm not angry about that. You know what? You're really. That's pretty shit. Like I'm just thinking about that now. I'm like, damn. He'd make a really great John Stewart. You're selling me on this. I, I'm kind of, uh, or uh, I'm, I either want like that or like, or Sterling K. Brown. Oh be, yeah, I was thinking him too. Yeah, be, he's good. I'm sorry, like sorry for the tangent here, folks, uh, for the fan casting of John Stewart. Um, but yeah, and so then Justice League Two, the original idea for Justice League Two, mm-hmm. would be that Bruce believes that there's going to be a Alien invasion. He thinks Darkseid's going to come back. And so he has the idea of like, okay, let's be proactive and in an initiative with taking the fight to Darkseid himself. Yeah. Right. And they would be use a boom tube by with, with the mother box that is remaining and with um, Cyborg doing that, using the, his powers to do that. Uh, Lois Lane would remain at the lake house and everybody... The league would go to new would go to Apocalypse to fight um, Darkseid with the help of the Green Lanterns and the new gods that would be there on New Genesis. However, things go awry. 
See, that sounds like a $500 million movie in and of itself, because when you factor in the Justice League, you know, as it stands, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, The Flash, Cyborg, then you factor in Green Lantern and the Core, then also New Gods, Apocalypse. That's a giant movie. That's a really giant movie, Tim. Yeah, I mean, that's like an Avengers Infinity War or Endgame level budget. Yeah, easily. Easily. And then the way this movie ends is like, oh my god. Like, it, it, oh boy. I don't know if people would have been ready to see, like, Superman go full-blown injustice. I don't know if people would have digged that too much. No, because what would happen is that he... that. Darkseid would use the codex that's in Superman to enact the anti-life equation upon capturing Superman, right. who has no powers because he's not under the influence of a yellow sun anymore. Uh, Darkseid would invade Earth, raise it to the ground, killing both Martha, Lois, and Clark and Lois's unborn child. Which, the name of the child has actually been debated couple different ways i've seen bruce kent i've seen jonathan bruce kent i've just seen jonathan kent i'm honestly not too sure what the child's name was actually supposed to be right uh, however superman would be managed his way to escape get back to earth realizes what has happened in his absence kill dark side but he's now lost his shit mm-hmm. the league is, that- is dismantled and partially destroyed and he would become a dictator thus fulfilling the nightmare sequence that we saw in batman v superman which apparently cyborg was supposed to be left like half functional i don't know what would have happened to wonder woman or aquaman if the world as it stands was dried up and sandy obviously atlantis would have either had to have gone and adapted to the surface or they would have been wiped out i'm honestly not too sure i I, like one of the ideas that was presented like the, the, the reason why the, this idea came to me, like, why to do this episode, is, like, I saw a video by a YouTube channel called Heavy Spoilers laying out the five, the five, DC, the five film plan for the DCEU. And in the video, the creator says that, that both Themyscira and Atlantis would be destroyed at this point. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that answers that question. Yeah, and so Justice League 3 opens up, and, like, how the movie Justice League 2 ends on full dictatorial injustice level Superman mm-hmm. and it would probably hint at what Justice League 3 would have been and would it be it would be freedom fighters the resistance of whoever remains on Earth we would see the nightmare sequence play out with Bruce being killed however while this was going on Cyborg and the Flash were able to construct the cosmic treadmill sending Flash back in time to warn them where we would see Bruce from Barry's point of view of like he went back too soon. He's like, oh shit, I've gone back too soon. He's able to go back to the events of Justice League 2, prevent them from going to Apocalypse. However, it would kill him in the process. But now, realizing what Barry meant to that point, Batman and everybody changes their plans. Lois has moved to the Batcave. And the New Gods, the Lanterns, Along with the League, the Armies of Men, the Metahumans, the people from Atlantis, the Mascara, and everybody waits for Darkseid to attack Earth, but they're on the defensive and they have the home field advantage. advantage. 
they able to stop the armies of Darkseid. Darkseid tries to kill Lois in the Batcave, but Batman has created a, a god-killing weapon. But Final in, Crisis style. Final Crisis style. And with Final Crisis in mind, Darkseid is able to kill Batman in one last blast of the Omega, Omega Bean. Batman dies, saving Lois and Superman. They honor him by naming their child Jonathan Bruce Kent. And mm-hmm. Justice League is formed in the remainders of the matter of humans that came together. And that's the end of Justice League 3 on a, in a message of hope. Now, I think before Batman gets fully confronted with Superman, all of the nightmare sequence, he, him, Cyborg, and Flash have that conversation as they're finishing up the cosmic treadmill. And Batman says, <clears throat> you have two points in time. Now, which, what are your two windows in time? And Flash and Cyborg go, well, this one and this one. And Batman says, okay, well, if you had to choose, which one would you send Flash to right now? And Cyborg says, this one. And Batman goes, okay, go with that one, because when you sent Flash to this one, it was too soon. And when what, what Batman is referring to in that moment are the events of Batman versus Superman. So when, Bear, when Batman sends Barry back initially the first time, we get that nightmare vision sequence in BVS. Like, that is Barry going back the first time. And that sets the timeline into motion that we all just discussed. And then the second time he sends him back, as Tim mentioned, the Flash goes to Justice League 2, warns everyone then. But when he does warn them, it inadvertently kills him because the timeline is thus changed. Yeah, and... It is curious because this is two points I'm going to bring up when it comes to re- referring to this franchise compared to the one across the street. Mm-hmm. It is funny how the big second act of Avengers Endgame is traveling through time, trying to change things in order to prevent the the future that they're in. And the first act of Justice League 3 is basically the same thing. And now... Ish. Go on. Oh, no, no, I was just saying ish. It's kind of ish the same thing. Yeah. I mean, synchronicity is a thing. Parallel thought is a real thing in the world. I just find so funny, like, and imagine how many hot take articles have been written saying that Justice League was just a ripoff of Infinity War and Endgame. Well, that's under the assumption if Marvel was still making their movies... Progressively, and WB was still making their movies, you know, based on this timeline. Endgame would have come out the same year as Justice League 2. So it would have been the MCU still kind of capping off, but the DC Extended Universe is still kind of left and like, oh shit, what's going to happen next? So, I mean, maybe for JL2, they'd probably be like, oh, they just did Infinity War. So, yeah, I don't disagree. Yeah, and... And I think the reason, like, one of the biggest downsides to this plan is that you're going on the basis that you believe you're going to have a five-year, five-movie plan, a five-movie arc. Mm-hmm. But the one thing is, any, especially in the movie business, nothing is a guarantee. And then you think of people like James Wan, I think you brought this up on Holy Badcast recently, saying... Everything in the kitchen sink was thrown to Aquaman because James Wan didn't know he was going to ever have a chance to make this movie again. Yeah, and I'm even just thinking about like 
the original Slate and even Shazam and Aquaman, like, they were going to come before Justice League 2. So their stories as they stand today, like, thinking about how Justice League 2 ends, like, you could still do Aquaman. You could still do Shazam as they stand. And I don't think that would have affected the outcome of Justice League 2. Justice League 3, that's a different story. But... Yeah, I, I think you'd have to set those sequels after the events of Justice League 3. Right. right. My point exactly. Right. And I think there was, a, there, was, um, there was a pretty huge podcast called Script Notes, where two screenwriters, uh, John August and Craig Mazin, uh, every week talk about screenwriting advice, and they talk to their industry friends and everything, and they talk about the, the, the story of creation in the Hollywood system. They also deal with agents and guilds and all these kind of things. It's very, very popular. And they do, I don't know if it's a yearly thing or a monthly thing, they would do a live show in Los Angeles. And I think it was the end of last year. They actually had Kevin Feige come down to be part of their live uh, show conversation. Oh, wow. Where August and Mason just kind of picked Feige's brain about like how the MCU structured and everything. And he says, and Feige went on the record saying, like, yeah, we have meticulous things planned out for several sequels and several things down the line. But the key that he always remembers is like every movie still has to stand on its own. Everything, every movie still has to be its own movie, and it must have a beginning, middle, end. Not always in that order, but still has to have its own complete story. And I think that is the one thing that you now. There's probably a lot of detractors out there would say like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! What about this? This is just a setup of this, yada, yada, yada." But I think he is correct in that assumption. Of like, all right, this is how we have to construct our universe. I think this five movie plan was going on the good faith that people would follow through it. And I think that's one of the problems of how this move, this franchise would never have gone this way because you're relying heavily on the audience to to go with this story that is very different from how people perceive these characters. Or just, you know, superhero movies in general. I mean, you know, Marvel kind of just, they kind of set the bar after, and along with Christopher Nolan, in the same way that, like, they made these, they made comic book movies stand on their own in certain timeless aspects, but also to a point where they, they, they feel very much faithful to the character that they are about, depending on what movie or character you are talking about. I know that's a point of contention depending on what movie or character you're talking about cough captain marvel cough but (laughs) (laughs) um it's just it's i understand it i absolutely understand the position that Zack snyder himself as a filmmaker was in being in like this big array of hollywood politics and where being at a point where studios just want an expansive universe not a contained one honestly and I feel like Snyder really wanted something more contained, but he tried really hard to pitch it as something that was more open-ended than it actually was. Right. It, had, it was a finite timeline. And, like, at the end of Justice League 3, you could go in a million different directions. It's like, you just wouldn't have Batman. Right. And Batman being the most profitable character WB has, I don't know that they would look at that as a, as a win. You know, like, how do you have a full-fledged DC universe, but Batman's dead? You know? Right. I mean, I understand, like, that's how, uh, spoilers, that's how Justice League Mortal was going to open up. I think it was going to be, either it was the 
the funeral of Batman or Superman. I forget which. And it would be leading up to the events of how that movie came, like how that story plays out. Like, it, like we would start with the ending, and then we would go back and see how it starts. I like thought it was it, the funeral of Barry Allen. Oh, when it was Barry Allen, you do it. I'm actually mistaken. Yeah, and it, I, the only reason I remember that is because um, Antoine Yelkin get, takes over because he's Wally West. Right, and, and, and Adam Brody was Barry Allen, right, right? Yep, yep, yep. And the reason it's Barry is because Barry runs around the world, and his last bit is telling Iris, I love you, before he fades off into it, you know, fades out of existence. Yeah, that's what it is. Right. Well, so, I totally messed it up. I apologize, folks. <laughs> but... And I haven't looked at Justice League Mortal in years, but damn, I'm surprised I remembered that. Right, because I remember there was one piece of description that I remember from that story that I always loved and I always think about whenever I read a Flash story, that he lives in a world of statues. Mm-hmm. And it's quiet. Mm-hmm. Because everything, he's going so fast, all he can hear is his own breathing and everything else is just at a standstill. Much like how Superman, he lives in a world of cardboard. Yep. And, like, his his greatest strength is not accidentally punching his face, his fist through somebody's face. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah punching true. his face through somebody's face. He headbutts somebody, their head explodes. Um, you know, I got a fun question for you. Okay. Since both the Justice League movies we just talked about didn't necessarily get made, which one would you have preferably rather watched over the other? <sighs> That's a really tough call, considering Mortal was never, like, really, really, like, in production at all. It, it, it went into pre-production, almost started filming, but it never, like, got anywhere. No. Whereas... God damn it. I know, Just give right? me a Sophie's <laughs> Choice wire at it. Um, pardon me, because like, I'm a... Uh, as much as I enjoy Zack Snyder's movie, I'm a bigger George Miller fan. Right, I'm kind of right there with you. And so I'm like... And how they're going to be treating, like, yeah, these guys are going to be in costumes, like, 90% of the time. And I'm like, oh, it might be that. Because I would just love to see that world so, like, hit the ground running with those characters already being established. And not building up to it. I think it would have been really interesting. So I might say that. As much as I enjoyed this this idea of the five-film plan for DCEU, Justice League Mortal, I just think that would have just been such a... A game changer is like, all right, and then we get the solo movies afterwards. What's even funnier is like that one, had it been made, it would have been made and come out like summer or fall of 2009. So right after The Dark Knight, I think Christopher Nolan even said like he, not he per se, but there's there's talk that the reason they didn't go through with Justice League Mortal was because Christopher Nolan didn't want there being two different Batman on the big screen to confuse audiences. Yeah, he sort of put the kibosh on that, as well as a bunch of other things, like the writer's strike that happened at the time, and Mm -hmm. the budget being so expensive, despite the fact shooting in Australia. Right, right. And, you know, just like from a storyline standpoint, it would have included Maxwell Lord and the OMAX systems as antagonists, and Superman would have been mind-controlled and had to have fought Wonder Woman, which... Kind of does happen in Justice League, though, without the mind control. Right, and but also, Maxwell Lord and mind control go hand in hand. That's like as miracle as, as Pepsi and apple pie. Um, <laughs> Which better be in Wonder Woman 1984. Yeah, I'm like, it's totally mind control, and Steve Trevor is a, is a figment of imagination. I'm calling it now. Oh, you think so? 
I, I'm, I'm either it's a figment of imagination or it's something I think Andy on Holy Batcast said that it's Hades messing with her. It's. I think it's. It, I'm kind of in line with Andy. I'm and a little bit of you. Like I feel like it's. It's god magic. It's got to be some kind of god magic or something that has Steve Trevor back. It's got to be something like that. Otherwise, it, it, it negates the gut punch of his sacrifice in the end of the first Wonder Woman movie. Right. But with okay, how would you? I know this is is like a total hypothetical situation. If these three Justice League movies were made with their original intention, how would you, how do you think you would react to it? And how do you think the general audience would have reacted to it? I'm going to be straight with you. If I'd seen something like this, it would have been, it it honestly feels like, you know, the Justice League unlimited cartoon come to life. Truly for me, general audiences on the other hand, it's look at how many people debate, about Endgame and how the time travel logistics work in Endgame. And think about how many people also like to just bitch about Zack Snyder working on DC movies. It's it's inevitable. It, it's honest to God, just like any kind of criticism at all is inevitable. But general audiences with this kind of story, I, I think with Marvel continuing the way they did, I feel like people might have called it a ripoff, definitely, which is ironic because they've been ripping each other off for years. Yeah, like uh, 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 I don't. I hate to break this to people, but Thanos is a ripoff of Darkseid. Yeah, Marvel editorial specifically told I think Jim Starlin make our version of Darkseid. I think something like that. I, I don't remember, but like I think Thanos was like a mandated thing by Marvel. Is what I'm getting at. Hmm. I can see that. I mean, same thing. Quicksilver's ripoff of the Flash. You know uh, what makes me laugh? People think Quicksilver can beat the Flash in a foot race. That makes me laugh. Um, you know, <laughs> that the Flash has gone to different universes because of how fast he can go, so I'm just like, that's just a, that's somebody just being shitty, just looking for a fight, saying that. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, well, last I checked, Quicksilver couldn't time travel by running fast, so, yeah. And he couldn't, and if we're talking about Age of Ultron, he couldn't outrun a couple of bullets either. <laughs> Poor Aaron Taylor Johnson. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, Talk about getting like the role of a lifetime only to be like, hey, you're only in one movie. What? <laughs> Rat-a-tat-tat-tat-tat. Like, oh. I mean, <sighs> I mean like, that, that is a... You need to have somebody die to make the stakes real in a story. And oh, we, for sure. And Whedon has no qualms killing your favorite person in the most heartbreaking fashion. You look at whether it be Buffy or Angel or the Avengers. Um, yeah, like Phil Coulson, yeah. Yeah, or Firefly or in Serenity. Like, the Serenity is like, so many people you like in that movie die. It's like, Jesus Christ. And, like, I remember I saw a meme a few years ago went around. It was uh, it was three uh, creators and, like, uh, a rendition as a drawing. It says, Stephen Moffat of Doctor Who, George R. R. Martin of Game of Thrones, and Joss Whedon walk into a bar. Everybody you ever love dies. Ouch. And I'm like, that's not, that's not false. It's true. But, yeah. But I yeah. think that's what makes them good storytellers. But I have to agree with you. I think fans would have loved it. I mean, fans that like fans of this subsection of comic books would have loved it, especially people who love the Injustice games. Yeah. And comic books definitely would have loved it. 
I feel like general audience would be like, it would have been... It would have been too much. I think it would have been a little too much for them, for general audiences, honestly. Like, seeing Superman, especially in, like, a third Justice League movie, seeing Superman, of all characters, be, like, this overlord evil tyrant and then watching him, like, kill Batman on screen, I don't know. I think that would have really rubbed people the wrong way. But, hey, you know... I don't know. I feel like comic book movies, you know, people want certain stories to be adapted almost panel for panel, page for page. But I think one thing I can definitely appreciate and something you brought up about, uh, you know, Kevin Feige and his input in terms of structure and how a movie gets made. If you think about it, I think, and I'm paraphrasing and thinking out of my own thoughts here, but ultimately Kevin Feige as like a, an overlord, a creator, if you will, Ultimately, like ultimately, yeah, you could start a universe with Iron Man, but where where do you ultimately want to go? I don't know that anyone would have asked him that ten years ago, but I th- you'd have to imagine in the back of Kevin Feige's mind, yeah, ten years following Iron Man, here's what I would want to see, and then we cut to ten years later, we get Endgame, the big reveal of everyone coming out of the portals. I think way back then he might have envisioned something like that, and I think comic book films usually wind up in that realm of this is what I aim to do. And honestly, that even goes for like Matt Reeves making the Batman, you know, his stories, his, his movie, at least by the looks of it is taking cues from a couple different, um, aesthetics, obviously, but like, it's been rumored heavily that the story is going to encapsulate year one elements and long Halloween elements, which doesn't surprise me, but even still like it, it, it's again, it's a, it's a, director, a creative mind, if you will, looking at a piece of IP, a source material, and going, how can I adapt this my way? And it's going to stick or it's not going to stick. And I think that that goes for both sides of the fence, Marvel or DC. Yeah, I I mean, I think it would have been a hard pill to swallow at the end of Justice League 2 to see see Superman go evil. I think how you could have hedged your bets, because I think they were going to shoot Justice League 2 and 3 back-to-back. Yep. I feel like you'd have to pull a Back to the Future Part 2, where at the end of the movie you have to show the trailer for Justice League 3. And show that, okay, this is not the end of the story here. That another one is coming. To assure the audience, like, okay, things are dire now, but you have to trust us to get through this and everything like that. And I, I know people recognize that, all right, Subban is the first superhero. He is the beacon of all hope and every other comic book character is judged by his standards. I do think it is interesting to see him go evil and what kind of ramifications, what things you could do with him. But that's me. I don't know if a general audience was going to go for that. I would love to see it happen, but I think what this boils down to is kind of two ways how you can tell a story. Now, you think... I remember I've read this interview with Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon's very big on structure. Mm-hmm. Like, he makes charts and everything from character beats to story points and everything. So he plots everything out very meticulously from beginning to end. So he knows where the story's going to end up before he types in exterior, night, whatever. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's one way of telling a story. 
and like that's something that I do. Like I try to plan my story out from beginning to end, and then you find the story as you go, as you actually start to break it down nitty and gritty. But then there is the other side of the coin when it comes to story, where you have an idea and you kind of just let it flow. And something mm-hmm. that Stephen King does, like he has a general idea of what's going to happen, and then he starts typing and he figures it out as he goes. And you think of one of the best storytellers in the past 15 years when it comes to television, Vince Gilligan, the creator of Breaking Bad and co-creator of Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. The mandate that they have for those shows is that they go scene by scene, beat by beat, one index card at a time. Oh, wow. So they have no idea how it's going to end, but they're going to do it in an organic fashion. I really like that. I had no idea Vince Gilligan made the show that way, so that's really interesting to come to find out. Right, and that's why, like, if you... There's two podcast. There's the better... There's the Breaking Bad Insider Podcast and Better Call Saul Insider Podcast, where they go episode by episode. I think they start, like, with season three of Breaking Bad or season two, mm-hmm. and they literally just go episode by episode, and they talk to the creators, the writers, the directors, the cast members, the the composers... Composers, not composure... Um, and they talk about the, how this story came about and the one overall thing that I, it comes about time and time again on that show is that they spend a lot of time in the writer's room breaking down each story to the most minute detail before they start writing an episode. Right. Cause that show is kind of predicated on small details. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Like, um, between the opening of season two with the bear to where you see how that bear got there by the end of season two, like the bear in the, in the, in the pool. Yeah. I mean, like how all the titles spell out a code that that gives you a hint to how that show ends. Yes. And, and they've kind of continued that thought process throughout the rest of those TV shows. And it is quite amazing to do that, and, it, and it's kind of the same way how Kevin Feige does it. Like, yeah, we're going to tell these kind of other plots, but this still story has to stand on its own. And I think their reach exceeded their grasp when it came to this five-film plan for the DCEU. But just as a morbid curiosity, I would have loved to see it actually come to fruition. Yeah, I can't disagree. I mean, there's something... <laughs> There's definitely something about being a comic book fan and had that sequence been shot and made of watching like Batman shoot Darkseid with a god-killing gun, that is definitely something I would have would have loved to see done on the big screen for sure because, you know, that's Batman being the ultimate world hero right there, saving the life of Lois Lane and the unborn child of Superman. Basically Batman's saving all hope for humanity at that point. Definitely. But, uh, yeah. Do you have any other final thoughts on this topic at hand before we uh, get out of here today? Honestly, I still wish Zack Snyder would have been allowed to make the Justice League movie that he wanted to make because, honestly, I still think it's the lightest movie in his entire DC movie repertoire. It would have been, anyway, in my opinion. But given every creative decision he ever made it honestly sounds like justice league would have been like his he got it he got he got it like that was the movie that he had he did it he got everything you know like that would have been the movie everyone would have been like okay zach you you got justice league but 
I digress. WB going WB. Yeah, I mean, Snyder was playing the long game when it came to these movies here. Unfortunately, especially in the blockbuster world, it's very predicated on the opening weekend and the initial run of a movie. Um, maybe one day we'll have it as a graphic novel or as an animated movie with this cast coming back to do voices. I would love to see that. But I'm going to keep moving forward. I just thought it would just be a nice little digression to talk about what if. Um, and then, like, okay, let's see what happens here. And that's the one thing. If anybody feels mad and wants to burn WB down to the ground because of what they've done to this initial plan, remember this. All of this starts with comic books. All of this this ancillary material that we experience comic book characters through starts in the comics. And there's thousands upon thousands of stories that you can experience right there at the tip of your finger, whether it be DC Universe or Marvel Unlimited, whatever it is. And there's plenty of stuff to get lost into. And that's why I don't really get too upset about um, like changes in comic books, characters, and everything. Because I'm like, all right, I have all these comics still here that I can experience and new ones I've yet to read. And that's how I kind of just like let this kind of thing is like water under the bridge. Like, okay, that's what you want to do. Cool. I'm not going to lose sleep over it because there's always going to be comics. Hopefully. I mean, if everything in the world goes back to a relatively sense of normalcy after the end of the COVID crisis. You know, I will say this Batman forever wasn't initially Batman forever. Um, I'm pretty sure The Dark Knight Rises could have been a totally different movie if someone had not left us too soon. Basically, the, the, the point is, like, these things, things can happen and then things can happen. Plans change. And we just kind of have to move with it. You know, take, take it one day at a time, one movie at a time. <laughs> yep, exactly. I mean... Tomorrow's not a guarantee, so just live in the moment, but don't be stupid here. Wear a mask, wash your hands, stay away from crowds from now on. Don't go to the beach, Florida. Uh, yeah, God. <laughs> I saw a meme going around. It's like, oh, why does COVID continue to be a problem? Because of how dense the population is and how dense the population is. I like the meme you shared. Life is hard. Life is harder if you're stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it truly is. But if people want to follow your musings are all around the interweb and your podcast, where can people find you? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on Anything Goes. It's been an absolute blast. I'm going to have to get you back on Superhero Stress. Uh, for anyone who wants to follow me or my show, my show, Superhero Stress, it's on um, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, you can find me on Twitter, Vero, and Instagram at unfiltered, U-N-P-H-I-L-T-E-R-E-D-D-D, as well as the Real Fans for Real Movies group, where I met Tim. Uh, usually just shoot the shit about movies of all kinds, not just, you know, cape shit. You know, we like Mad Max, sci-fi, all that fun stuff. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much where anyone can find me if you choose to. Again, Tim, thanks for having me on, man. I, I love talking to this. This was great. Oh, I, I appreciate that you're, like, so gung-ho to talk about this. Because I'm like, all right, who can I talk to somebody about this who will be, A, level-headed, and B, enthusiastic? And that's why I was like, all right, it's got to be you. And I appreciate that. I knew, like, you, like you, like me, like, I knew you could talk about that and talk about this in the same vein. So I, again, I respect and appreciate all of your opinions. Thank well, you. 
of course, and thank you. And if people want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Timothy Rooney Two, my Instagram at T Rooney Ten Twelve, uh, my YouTube channel Through the Lens Productions, where my latest short film Chase is there. Uh, you can find links to that in the description below if you listen to a on a smart device. Uh, subscribe to the show and leave us a five star written review on Apple Podcasts, wherever you or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to help spread the word of the show, um, come back next time to continue to talk about geek and pop culture. And for Phil, I am Tim. Thank you for listening, and we'll speak to you soon.